open space, falling our haze. However you go, tailgating on slow above deck or below. California rock, California roll down to the core. California rock, California roll. Post, postmodern, post-apocalypse. All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast. Back here again with co-contributor and my buddy, Adam Dietz, a.k.a. Blues Leader. So, Blues Leader, I think we'll call you Adam this time. I think it's appropriate. That's fine. And today we're going to be uh, talking about what we've been teasing for a while, which is uh, you guys know from previous podcasts and us just talking about it that Adam is a musician um, and is on the cusp of releasing his third album, um, under the uh, Bones Yard uh, band uh, uh, umbrella, and which is entitled Where Muscle Cars Roam. And like much of the album has a lot of layers of meaning to it. Um, so Adam uh, was kind enough to send me the roughs uh, a little while back and then the final recording. So I've listened to it um, probably three, four times very closely. Um, and I have some notes. He sent me extensive notes about um, where his mind was at, uh, both in the, the album in general and in specific tracks. And so, Adam, before we deep dive into the, the lyrics and music and so forth of the album, um, could you just give the Bizzlecast listeners an idea of a rough timeline of sort of like from when it was conceived to when the recording was and, and, and so forth, just to give us an idea. And I'll just, for the listeners out there, if you're not listening to this sort of live when it's released, we're recording this on Monday, February t- uh, 20th, and you're probably listening to this early March of 2017. So uh, give us a sense of, of how this all went down, buddy. It's it's a really good story, and thank you for having me, Bizzle. It's it's really an honor to Always. share this album specifically on the Bizzlecast and to talk about it. Um, so this album, actually, I had no idea I was writing an album when I got approached. I got approached by Luis Ferrari, who is Brazilian, and it, it, I think you pronounce it Ferrari, Ferrari, something <laughs> like that. <clears throat> anyway, we play soccer together, as does Nico, who is in the band. And he approached me about producing an album. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I want to produce your album. I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, like how much does it cost to produce an album? I'm like, you know, I threw out X dollar amount. And he said, okay, I want to produce your album. I'm like, what? And so that kind of lit a fire. But at the time, I didn't have material. But I had someone that was interested in collaborating in the process. You know, kind of, and in, in, in the and I have been talking about, like, what is the process? I mean, there's a process of writing songs. There's a process of recording an album. And there's a lot. There's a lot of work behind the scenes that you would probably never know happens, and so that kind of sparked a fire. I started writing songs, and eventually ended up with an album I'm very, very proud of, very happy with. Um, it ended up being a concept album, but I think it started. I want to say maybe a year and a half. I want to give it about that timeline. Okay, so the the connection with Nico and the idea to do this was about a year and a half ago. Yeah, and and and, to, and just to get the names right, so Luis is the pro- co-producer. Oh, Sorry, Nico is also in the band, and Luis will be joining a, on a few songs. Cool. But yeah, so the idea was started maybe a year and a half ago, and I might have had like a song, like a new, like one new song, at the time, and it led to writing new songs, and I just wrote more songs, and it turned into a concept album when I found I was writing about similar things, be it um, a lot of climate change, a lot of climate change. And, and one of, one of the big influences on the tour, I went on tour with another band and I'm not going to say the name of the band, but it was probably the shittiest tour I've ever been on in my life. It really sucked. Um, but that was about a year ago, but we drove through California and we went down I five and it's ironic because it's pouring rain right now. But at the time it was like the second year of a pretty severe drought in California and driving on the five, there was a lot of drought politics like on the side of the highway. And I found it really interesting. And so that was a really big theme for the album or for songs I was writing was about drought, mm-hmm. thinking about water, which fascinates me. I mean, thinking about, I want to say it's Paraguay, where like water was maybe first privatized. And just, I'm, I'm just, I still like, I still try to wrap my head around what the politics of water are going to be in the next maybe five to 10 years, it scares me, especially with, you know, who in charge right now. Um, yeah. I mean, if I can just jump in real please, quick, please. Um, 
So there are tons of apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic themes to this album, which we're going to talk about. And there's a couple interesting things about this to me. One, if you just listen to the music and casually to the lyrics, you really wouldn't pick up on it. And and so the sort of juxtaposition that isn't irony, but is you know is a conscious juxtaposition of the music and lyrics, I think is really really interesting. Um, and I have some uh, some connections, real world connections to make as well that I was thinking about as I was listening to this. The other is this is a topic that you and I are both super interested in, both in terms of the fictional post-apocalyptic stuff and, and real world, um, you know, things that, that are facing us in, in the near or medium term. Um, but it's, and it's something that we'll like text or Facebook about occasionally, but because we mostly talk about Star Wars, which is like the ultimate escapism, um, you know, it, we've sort of avoided this topic. It's so why it's interesting that we're going to get to talk about this stuff in context of your music, which for the most part, I would, I'm not going to call feel good music because that seems to be, you know, denigrating it in a way but it's not downer music or depressing music in terms of the sound. Would you agree with that at least? And is that conscious? Yeah. It's an interesting statement. I mean, I think, I think, I think of this album in like kind of two halves and I do hope to put it on vinyl, at least like a very limited, limited when I say limited, like six (laughs) records. Um, and you can buy now for $3,000. Um, (laughs) but, um, I do think that there's kind of two tones to the album. Like there's, there is how I, how I make sense of stuff with laughing about it. Like I, I, I laugh about it cause it's not funny. Like it's not funny at all, but I joke about it because that's, mm-hmm. that's just kind of the, the sense of humor I have. And so I would say the first half of the album does have an uplifting, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean like from a musical standpoint, like it's, it's, um, major chords. It's, it's not down. Like it does have kind of a, it's fun. Like it kind of has a fun vibe to it, but then there's like a middle, it's kind of like the, I want to say it's like the two thirds section of the album is darker. And I think it's darker musically mm-hmm. and it's not funny there. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the similar content. And I was thinking about this today. Actually, I was, I've listened to this album more times than I'd like to tell you, sure. but um, I was listening to it on my way driving somewhere to my terrible massage. It was actually awesome. It was an awesome massage. Um, and I was listening to it, and I, I I felt like the first these two thirds where it's a little bit more uplifting or a little bit more poppy, or I, I like the way you described it. Actually, it did not feel denigrating. Um, it's almost like it's a global critique, like it's like a satire. So, mm-hmm. like if you, you set satiric, like being being satirical is funny. Like there's a comical element to it. So mm-hmm. there's you're allowed some freedom in that. But I felt like the other part where it got a little bit more heavy felt more personal. Mm-hmm. And so it was almost like an, an, it, it felt like the individual story. That's where it gets heavy and that's where it gets darker. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting to think about. Yeah. And I think, well, I, I would actually, uh, I think I disagree. Maybe clarify satire can be funny. Parody is always funny. Satire can be funny or it can be ironic or very serious. So, you know what I mean? And so that's why I think it's more satire than parody in that it, there is humor in some points and it's more serious. But, you know, I mean, uh, look, I'll just I'll just cut straight to it. And one of the things I wanted to do with Deets before we deep dive into the album is talk about some of the influences that I felt listening to it. But it's no secret you're a huge fan of the blues. And what you just described is very related to the blues, which is most blues is not minor key at all. And is actually feel good in terms of the music, but then you hear the lyrics of like the original blues guys who were basically slaves, or, you know, or indentured servants or, or whatever, or just extremely poor in the South and various parts of the country. And, and there's a whole different layer to it, you know. I mean, there's definitely people who just listen to the blues because they like the sound, but others, um, you know, others appreciate all all sides of it, you know, because even the blues, the classic blues songs that appear to be about women are often about a lot of different things other than just women for example um and so i i thought it was cool that not only do you have a blues sound on some of the tracks but that it does have that blues feel in terms of being much deeper than it, may, it might seem on the surface that's interesting i mean i do think of the blues like is in a in a minor key but also there is a there is a comedy about the blues like and i think satire is an appropriate appropriate statement i mean there's an irony that's happening there and there is something much deeper that's going on um, I talk a lot about soul. I mean, soul is really important to me. And I think soul has been important to me in music as far back as I can remember. And thinking that 
I'll never forget the first time I put on headphones and heard Al Green. I'm like, holy shit. Like, yeah. what is that? What is that? Like, what is that? Like, that is, that is different. And so I, I hope that the album captures like a rawness. Like there's just a rawness that, you know, and I wrote an essay that you published on your website that I feel like a lot of music just doesn't have soul. Like it doesn't have that, like it, like there's like something like raw emotion, like coming through. Yep. And that's that I feel I wanted to capture that in this album. And I, that's to me, that's the music that matters is, is music that captures soul, captures energy, captures like emotion, like uh-huh. real emotion. Cool. Um, can I run down my short list of some some artists and, and, and so forth or genres that I thought of while listening to it? I would love this. I'm, I'm looking forward to okay. this very much. So so it's no secret that you lived in New Orleans for how long? I lived in New Orleans for three years and now Mardi Gras is happening like this past month and a half and I'm missing it, missing it very, very much, but continue please. So there was definitely a blues influence on the album, but especially a new Orleans blues influence and as well as a Bayou Hmm. thing going on at at parts. It actually reminded me and this band is very divisive. So don't take this as like consult, even though I happen to love this band. Um, There was a little bit of a credence feel to some of the album. And there is no offense taken to that. And okay. And I, let's go on the record that's saying Credence is actually from this area of California. Yes, and that's the thing. You know, that, that's the joke about Credence is it sounds like they're from the Bayou, but they're actually California. And you spending time in the Bayou and now in California, I thought was interesting. Yeah, I, I love Credence. I think Credence is one of the best bands out. I, I, I mean, love Credence. It, even if you don't listen to them a lot, but you love the Big Lebowski, you kind of have to love Credence. <laughs> I, I would say I fell in love with Credence well before the Big Lebowski. Oh, of course. Well, I mean, I, that's that's a good state time to say that it took me to I was older to fall in love with the Big Lebowski. I think when it came out, I was too young for the Big Lebowski. But um, I I felt I think I liked Credence before I liked the Big Lebowski. But I, I agree, like the the Big Lebowski. I mean, yeah, the Credence tape. I mean, that's an important tape. <clears throat> and I like his tape. I'm looking for his tape. I wish I had it. Yep. And uh, but would you agree about being influenced by the New Orleans sound a little bit? That's interesting. I mean, I I don't know. I don't disagree. Um, I do think like that. My influences are definitely jazz and blues. Like, there's definitely a lot of that in there. Oh yeah. Um, Which is a very I, New Orleans I, thing. The blues and jazz for sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I think about I think about New Orleans jazz and I think about brass bands, and I. Th- I'm not going to say no to that statement. I, I I hadn't thought of it honestly, so it's it's interesting to think about that. Yeah, um, it's sort of uh, actually it's like a triangulation of where you are now in New Orleans and then Mississippi blues, I guess. Was some was a an idea? I mean, that, I had. yeah. If if that's if that's a uh, if that's a thought that comes up for someone that I feel immensely proud. Like I, that's yeah. awesome. Like I would love to be yeah. associated with that type of blues. Yep. And um, just to tease the uh, post-apocalyptic thing, which we'll get more into. Um, I don't know if you've seen the film uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. <clears throat> yes. Um, which was uh, written, produced, and directed by uh, a kid who graduated my class at Wesleyan, uh, Ben Zeitlin. And <laughs> amazingly, on a tiny budget, an indie movie was up for Best Picture in uh, 2012 and, and arguably should have won. It was up against a lot of great movies. Argo won that year, which was, in my opinion, a terrible movie or just mediocre. I love Beasts of the Southern Wild. And one thing that's cool about Beasts of the Southern Wild, other than really feeling like being on the outskirts of, of New Orleans and Louisiana, is that it's a post-apocalyptic movie that's not a post-apocalyptic movie because it's taking place now and dealing with actual poor people and what they're going through but we talk about like the flooding and post katrina stuff is really captured in that movie was one thing I-, I thought of for sure when thinking about your time in new orleans listening to the album and then uh, reading your uh, thoughts about the album um yeah well it's interesting to think about like what does post-apocalypse mean you know i mean like what and, and I, I kind of put that rhetorically, like, what are we talking about? Like, what is the post-apocalypse? Like, is it Mad Max? Like, is it Skynet? Is it Katrina? Like, I mean, what does that mean? Like, you're, when your whole society crumbles around you, or like your civil society crumbles around you, like, is that an apocalypse? Well, is it the biblical apocalypse? Like, I, I don't know if I know the answer to that. Yeah. You know, is it, is it post, like, you know, nuclear warhead, like, falling down? and destroying everything i i don't know if i know but i think it i think it's fair to say that i, I like your description description of beast of the southern wild to think about that as a post-apocalyptic movie that's not post-apocalyptic but i think what's 
key in those movies or in that theme is what happens after your civil society breaks down, whatever it was before, how do people get together and either get together or fight or have, have conflict? How do they interact with one another after this catastrophic event? Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's table post-apocalypse just very briefly. Cause we're going to start talking more specifics about the albums and the songs and so forth. Um, and I definitely want to get back to that. I just wanted to run through a few other, um, uh, comparisons. Again, some of these comparisons are more, uh, not of a kind, but of a like parallel, if that makes sense. Um, and one of the things I thought about, even though your sounds completely different and your lyrics are completely different. And again, keep in mind, I only know like a dozen or a dozen and a half good rock bands for the last 10, 15 years. So, uh, you know, and I don't listen to a lot of, you know, new folk and, and stuff like that. But in terms of you bringing in a lot of different genres and yet have it be very smooth, it reminded me a little bit of what the Decemberists try and accomplish on some of their albums. Um, Interesting. Especially Interesting. in the, especially, it's a band that I really like. Um, I know not everyone does. I've actually seen them live in a month or two with my mom. Um, but uh, just, you know, they, they bring in Celtic influences, they bring in Southern influences, they bring in bluegrass influences. Um, you know, they bring in a lot of different stuff. Uh, and yet, it all, for the most part, sounds pretty smooth smooth um so that was one thing and one question that, that i want to get back to man as we get into the album was w- w- whether there was sort of a conscious attempt um uh, to bring in different genres or whether it, it it kind of flowed smoothly um but a couple other quick things were in terms of your voice um the three singers that come to mind most readily are uh dylan springsteen and eddie vetter <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm laughing because there's there's a track where um so miles boyson we've recorded with miles boyson and i i have to like actually get the name of his studio but there was one song where like, he was like teasing me about like that sounded like bob dylan and like that was really annoying and i was like thank you <laughs> and then there was another song that like it said like oh yeah you sounded like the boss there and i was like oh okay um what was the third one you said Vetter. oh eddie Vetter. I've heard, I've heard, and I've heard Vetter before, which is a huge compliment. Like I, I'm stoked by that. So So I'm onto something. Yeah. Yeah, you are. I, I've heard all three of those and like all three of those guys are heroes, like for sure of mine. Um, so that's, I, I laugh at that. I think it's funny. And so so I have one more and then we'll start deep diving in the album. And this is, I do, I do. I want to, I want to respond to the Decemberist because, so that's a local band that, I do not like. Yeah, I figured and, you didn't. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's not. It's the only the biggest hesitation I have with that band is the voice. Like his voice, like annoys the shit out of me. It's like, yeah, I like. I just it. feel like that guy is whining the whole time, and I just want to like. I, I can't. You know, and I, it's it's, and I mean no offense, but I think for me, you know, I love music or I don't like it. And yep. like if there's something like, it's it's like it's almost like it's I I it's what's the word it's a binary it's a zero or a one yeah it is i mean but it doesn't always have to be that much but like i just feel like it's a visceral that's the word i'm looking for it's a visceral Uh, feeling like when i hear when i hear something i don't like like it 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 literally hurts me again uh, just to clarify again it had nothing to do with the vocals which are completely different or the the sound which is completely different it was just in the sense of me sensing a bunch of different genres that for me in both cases work really well being mashed together and I and I, I heard that, and I don't take yeah. offense. And yeah. and they're super intellectual folk in the Decemberists yes. who work in a lot of real world issues in ways that you have to listen closely to the lyrics. So that was the other thing. Fair enough. And I I, I am too emotive to have given them a chance. But that said, I I, I won't say it was intentional. Like I think, you know, in trying to describe like what is what is my band like or like what is the sound we're going for. I mean, there's like an indie rock Americana sound and maybe some blues to it i don't know like i don't know the answer to it like i i like a lot of different types of music and i used a lot of different types of guitars for this album so that's part of how i would answer how it came together like i used a resonator guitar that's like delta blues i mean that's delta blues like hands down and i didn't know i was writing a delta blues song until it happened and i'm like oh shit i have a delta blues song and like and then like lyrically Again, I was still singing about the same things or similar things that I was singing about on other songs. Mm-hmm. So it was not intentional to have a lot of different sounds come together. I'm glad to hear that it did come together because I think that is 
part of my musical presentation is that there's a lot of different sounds that are happening. Like if you would have told me like 20 years ago, I'm writing country songs, I would have been like <laughs> offended. Like I would have been like, why the, what the fuck are you doing writing country songs? But I love country songs. Like, I yeah. actually really like country music and yeah. old school country. music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a huge distinction between what country music meant 30 years ago, which is what it's supposed to mean in pop music that happens to come from the South now. Yeah. So I, I might even go 50 years ago, but be that as it sure. may, it was not intentional to have a diverse sound, but in the same time, like, you know, I think about, and this is, this might be, not be the appropriate time, but like where, where muscle colors roam is like thinking about, it's an album about America. It's an album about California. Mm-hmm. California is a really diverse place. I mean, you go from the Bay area, San Francisco, you know, which used to be the bastion of like hippie, um, progressive liberalism to like, it's, you know, like, like the Republic of Berkeley, like you're talking about like the communist socialist Republic of Berkeley and you go two hours away and like, you're in like cow country, like redneck, like California and Mm -hmm. that's California. Mm -hmm. And then you like, you go further up the coast and it's, it's a, it's a mix between cowboys, like meth heads and like hippies, like growing weed. Like it's crazy. Like it's, it's an crazy, like, um, cross of cultures that happen. So I'm glad that that happened for this. Cause that's, that was somewhat of the intention of the album to be to be illustrative of what California is and is going to be or what's happening here. So as a uh, transition to get into uh, the the album itself and the lyrics and the music, um, again, I, I think this album has a lot of re-listenability because the lyrics um, are not necessarily... Uh, um, of the same vibe of the, the surface part of the music until you listen to it multiple times. Um, and so since we can't really separate the two, I kind of want to talk about both at the same time. So, you know, we, we, we do like a lot of the same rock, uh, yes, we do singer songwriters. And uh, there were sort of three that came to mind in terms of, um, I, th- I know for a fact that these singer songwriters, since they also played guitar, uh, were sort of doing lyrics and music simultaneously. And that is uh, Pete Townsend, uh, Kirk Cobain, and Chris Cornell. Um, hmm. And uh, like I know for like Chris Cornell, for example, did sometimes uh, in the Soundgarden days, especially um, come up with lyrics first and then bring it to the band, and they'd all work on the music. And so, like, but, but like Black Hole Sun, he wrote that all himself, the music and lyrics at the same time. You know, Kurt Cobain would like come up with three or four power chords and then you know come up with some amazingly brilliant track out of it, and then the band would would you know ornament it, and then Pete Townsend kind of composed everything from A to Z, and then the rest of the musicians and Daltrey would just lose their fucking minds and bring it to a new level. But um, so so my my question for you is. Do you have a similar approach to those guys in terms of the music and lyrics sort of developing simultaneously, or does one generally come before the other? It just depends. I think it's it depends on the song. So, you know, as we dive into the tracks, I think a good example is California Roll, which to me I had the hook, like the music of the song first, and I started writing lyrics to it afterwards. Mm-hmm. But the, what what happens on the end of the album is not what I brought to the band, musically speaking. Like to the band, I brought something a little bit different, and we worked it, and we massaged it, we turned it into something very different. And I love how it turned out. And had I not brought it to the band, it would not be what it is. So, from a musical perspective, the band added a lot to that song and really changed the direction of the song. From a lyrical basis, that's really my baby. Like the lyrics are are mine. Um, every once in a while, like you know, like there might be a suggestion or something else from somebody else, but I would say. The music is more adaptable, like it's more fl- uh, fluid. Mm-hmm. But the lyrics, and, and the lyrics are fluid for me. But the ly- the lyrics are pretty much my baby. I'm I'm working on that. Mm-hmm. But it depends on what happens. I mean, I can't tell you how like I write one song versus the other, and it, it really changes song to song. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about like I know the Bizzle and I were talking offline about the process, like the process of songwriting. And the, the the one corollary I can draw between like song to song to song is you have to play. You just have to play. And you have to like sit down and like sing and play wrong with like whatever hook you're working on. Mm-hmm. And like an idea comes and like there might be one line that is a springboard to like the whole idea of a song. Mm-hmm. And sometimes not. And 
Um, but that's that's generally speaking, if I had to like boil down what my process is, it's it's playing a lot, like singing, like whatever thought comes to my head, and there might be a line that I really like, and then it, it, that that is the springboard to the the rest of the song. But I I need to push on this, push back on this a little bit, um, because you know there must have been some moment that you consciously decided that you want to work in these super deep societal and political themes. Uh, just as an example, and I'm looking at uh, your notes here, um, which by the way, I would love to publish th- some of this or all of this on my blog uh, before, during, or after the album release. Um, Cause it, let me comment. Let me comment on that real quick. We're yeah. going to be, and this is a moment to say that, the distribution of this album, those notes are going to be published in oh. a photo, kind of like a coffee table book. Mm. So there'll be photos and like these comments in those books. Awesome. So, so we could just like tease it. it. We could just tease it and then tell people where exactly. to go. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly. So, exactly. okay. So California roll has to do with, you know, a, a legal driving basically. And you use it as a, as a metaphor for, um, the American poor America's poor handling of climate change, conservation, social, social justice, and so forth. Now you also were influenced by the first Superman movie, which my uh, co-host Matty G is going to be so thrilled about. Cause he's a huge DC comics and Superman fan. And it argues that the first Superman, Superman movie is still the best DC movie ever. And uh, um, so do you mind if we jump around to a couple of the songs? And I think no, by talking please. about them, um, people will get, you know, and we won't talk about everything and, and so that they can get the coffee table book and you get the full story. Um, but let's talk about California Oak because that's the first uh, track that's not the intro, um, I believe. Yes. Um, yes and right. can you talk about the Superman thing or the California Roll thing or, or both? Because it's that's very fascinating. And, you know, again, to, to loop back to where I started this little rant about, at what point did you realize that you were going to try and make this a personal album, but also a political album at the same time? Or do you not even see a difference? Whew, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, well, let's focus on California Roll to help channel uh, that broad question. That's, yeah. That helps. Yeah. Yeah. So California Roll, I don't know. I mean, I think the line, like that line helped push the song in a direction. So, Yes, it's a piece of sushi, but yes, that's not that's not the point here. But yeah, like thinking about like the driving maneuver, like of just rolling through a stop sign, which seems like a very nonchalant, you know, pretty unsafe way to move about things. And that's how how I see us dealing with climate change. Like, yeah, you kind of acknowledge it, but like we're not really dealing with it. Um, and I think I think about California roll, like it's like a very like I mean, like if you look at it literally, like rolling off the side of the earth, like falling into the ocean. And the first thing I thought of when I thought of that idea was Superman. Like with Lex Luthor, Luther, like using a nuke yeah. to like blow California, like off of the map or like just dis- disconnect it from the United States. And simultaneously, as I was writing this song, I think I was really frustrated with how expensive it was to live in this area of California. But I think California generally, but like mm-hmm. just like blown away, like it's it's so expensive. And but the irony is like an earthquake could happen like right now. Like right now, I'm sitting here talking like on the Bizzlecast, like my dog sleeping on the bed. An earthquake can happen. Like, mm. everything changes. And so, like, you know, the California is talking about seceding from the Union. Um, I think every like, state at this point is talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good. Well, good. Yeah. But, like, you know, California is – well, and it, I think we have, like, a legitimate case because, like, what's California? Like, the seventh – like, one of the top ten economies in yes. the world? It's the same way so, that, that Catalonia and, and Spain is constantly threatening to secede because they're the upper class and one of the richest parts and have a different yeah, culture so and so like, forth. Yeah. So like you know it's, you know so this Cal- like California is like this like crazy place in the United States and you know it's a place I've lived before and I left and I came back and like just like blown away like like why is it so expensive here like how is it so expensive and like it's it's funny because I mean it might not be here in ten years like I remember like when I was living when I was moving from New Orleans like I legitimately thought of moving to Colorado because in 20 years 25 years like that'll be ocean beach like property there'll be ocean there in colorado like so that's that's obviously the place to move start start buying land in northern canada and greenland (laughs) right so no i'm serious yeah no i mean so that's 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 part of what i think that song was about but then like there was definitely that that recollection of superman where you know lex luther's blunt i did actually watch that movie recently and and 
I was a little bit depressed that like Lex Luthor was living underneath the subway. Like that seemed a little below, like no pun intended, like below Lex Luthor mm-hmm. to live below the subway. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so that song felt really about California and, you know, kind of that idea of like, it's, it's gone. Like California has gone and it's, right. it's going to be gone. Yeah. I mean, Manhattan is in that same category as well. Um, It'll be interesting to see which goes first. Uh, in a lot of ways, Manhattan is scarier because it's so concentrated. I mean, there's really nowhere to go, you know? I mean, it, I guess, you know, San Francisco is also very concentrated. Although, you, where you live, you're you're pretty safe up in the hills. Well, but I mean, an earthquake, I mean, we, our whole house would slide. I live sure. in like a treehouse, man. Like, if, yeah, if those... True. If those pillars fall, like we're sliding. I mean, it'll be it'll be a fun ride. I'll give, okay. it, I'll give it that. But let's go back to the but, notes. Uh, so wait, I'm sorry. Please. So California Roll takes place just prior to a, a dystopian hell. And you say, it's intentionally dramatic and farcical. This song personifies how I cope with disconcerting forces far beyond my control. Um, and it's fu- how it's funny and not funny. Uh, you make a Somo reference. I mean, this is like really heady shit, and yet you work it into like a modern folk rock song. Like, how did was, did this just really flow for you? Because it doesn't sound or feel forced at all on the album. But uh, I, I mean, let's put it this way: T- to get themes like this, usually you need to listen to like Tool or Soundgarden. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, am um, I wrong about about that? I mean, or Pantera? I mean, honestly. Yeah, I mean. I, I'm very proud of the song. I think it's I think it's really good. I mean it's it's very honest. Like it's right. it's honest how I think about things and I mean truthfully, like that is like if you had to like summarize my sense of humor, like it really is laughing at something because it's completely not funny. Like it's not funny at all, but that's that's why it's funny to me. Like that's my sense of humor. And so I don't know, like yeah, that's that it just kind of summed up like what, what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, let's, uh, let me, let me, let me distill it this way. You're really commenting on the fallibility of, of humanity, right? I mean, that's where all this comes from. I mean, we can talk about political issues all the live long day, but even if we address 80% or 90% of those political issues, we haven't addressed the fact that technology and supposed progress, you know, uh, 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 like are, uh, you know, moving and increasing at, at a rate so far beyond the increase of, of morality and ethics among humans. Um, and so there the really are only limited political answers to these problems because until we change and improve ourselves, none of these things are, are going to go away. I think that boils it down. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's, that's kind of the takeaway. And, yeah. and, and what, what I find interesting is and I've, I've talked about, I've talked about this with you and offline with the, with Papa Bizzle is I don't find myself to be a fatalist. Like I haven't in the past where, you know, like the end of the world's always been upon humanity. Yeah. And I don't know that I think that the end of the world is upon us, though there are these, you know, is climate change, is, is what we're facing, like beyond what we've ever seen before? Like, arguably, yes, it is. And yet, like, it's still the human, it's like the, like, we, we create this, like, we survive it. Like, that's, that's, that's our drama. That's one big piece of our drama. And that, it's, it's fascinating to me. So uh, the lyric that, that you kind of started me off on, um, if if I may, um, it goes, "Oh, build me a home where the muscle cars roam, where the drones and Twitter birds sing, where seldom is heard a conservation concern and Skynet's a killing again." Now we all know what song this comes from, and I think it's brilliant that you drew from this classic American. I don't even know what to call it. Uh, folk uh canon that's canon canon. that's american canon american canon so we know what skynet's a reference to um we know what drones and twitter are reference to is muscle cars a a direct reference to mad max or is it sort of a mix of that and just kind of redneck uh middle america um or or other it's definitely more redneck middle america um but I like, but yeah, but I think if you break it down, like I think there is a, there is a Mad Max feel to that. I mean, I think I sent in my notes, like the idea of Cadillac Ranch, like that's something, there's like something inherently like American about the muscle car mm-hmm. and like thinking about, and I think like, a, you know, like climate change does feel really American, like to some, to some degree. Um, but yeah, I think I think what I what I found interesting about this album is like initially when I thought about like where muscle cars roam, I was thinking about more on the outskirts, like more 
like rural or rural America. But then all of a sudden, like this album really started taking place in Oakland and like in San Francisco and, you know, kind of took place in this Bay area where like, you know, these forces are happening like just here and, you know, the drought really affects, it doesn't really affect San Francisco. I mean, it does like, you know, secondhand, but it's not, I don't know. Like, again, like I feel it's not that it's just based in California, but it's like this California is just a complicated, like fascinating place where like middle America is just outside of these like very liberal bubbles. Mm-hmm. And I think this points to an important thing about writing. I mean, I can't speak to songwriting every time I try it. I hate it. And I can't go more than 10 minutes and being like, Oh my God, I hate everything about this. Um, uh, and actually uh, maybe um, at some point we can sort of talk about the philosophy of songwriting. Um, but uh, I do write essays and I write stories and you know, the, the first piece of advice, well, there's two main pieces of advice and this is for all writers out there, whatever kind of writers. One is the only way to write is to write. And uh, there's a great saying, which I'm just going to paraphrase, which is no one gives a fuck about your rough draft and no one's going to hear it. So put the pencil to paper and just start writing because it's never going to happen if you just think about it and you're trying to make it perfect on the first pass. Never going to happen. I don't care if you're writing a novel, a novella, a short story, a poem. You have to just start writing. The second thing or is... Or a song. Or a song. Or a song. It's, a, it's, a hundred percent, it's the same thing for well, me. Well, I put, I put right. song and poem. Right. right. Poem. Right. Musical right. poem. Yeah. Right, 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 right. right, right. right, right, but, right. And the other, the other main advice is write what you know. Or at least start start that way. Doesn't mean you have to, you know, write about some horrible relationship you're just getting out of. But write things that you're familiar with, you know. I mean, don't start by writing a rock opera about North Korea or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I yeah. think the fact that, that you are looking through a Californian lens, even while dealing with both personal and political issues, I, I have to think was a conscious thing as a songwriter who's, who's got his third album coming out that, that, you know, I mean, maybe you've done this from the beginning, but I have to think now that you're so seasoned, it, it's, it's natural to start from a, a personal place or, or a local place, if that makes sense. I think it does. I mean, I think I tried to, I mean, there are songs I didn't include on this album. Like I wanted to capture a theme and an idea. And I could, again, like I found, it found like it was a lot was on my mind. And so it just lended naturally to framing things from a California perspective and like the, like what I'm experiencing in California. And it seems that there are bigger forces, universal forces that it's relatable. So it doesn't have, you don't have to like live in the Bay area to connect with like aspects of this album. Mm -hmm. Um, so I want to talk about a couple more tracks. Um, but first, you know, you, you do use Skynet a lot. Um, there's a million post-apocalyptic scenarios out there, uh, both literature, film, television, nonfiction, whatever, and they're not mutually exclusive, right? I mean, like Skynet and the Matrix could be related, um, you know, Ex Machina could lead to the Matrix or Skynet or both. I mean, there's a lot. So, um, <laughs> you know, looking at your lyrics and your other talk of post-apocalyptic scenarios mad max seems to be more along the lines of where you think things could go uh do you use skynet because it's just kind of a a metaphor and something people are are familiar with or or is that one of your apocalyptic scenarios that you could say i think i think it's one of the ones i see i mean i live in like the tech capital of the world that's true that's a great point so i think it's it's thinking about these like cars driving us around and um you know like pill dispensing robots Mm mm-hmm and like Alexa, like, I mean, Alexa is like a fascinating like yeah. character. Like, I mean, Alexa, I, I've heard that like Alexa can just be hanging out. Like we would just be chilling right now. And if I just said Alexa, like she would perk up and like do something after like hours of doing nothing. Like it's, it's fascinating. Like robots and like artificial intelligence, like seems to be coming down that road. And I, I do like that story. And I do like that. I mean, I don't like it, but I, I like that post apocalyptic um, drama. I, I feel like the X-Men handle it really. I feel I think yep. with like the Sentinels coming to life and like gaining intelligence, like it's a, it's a really interesting theme. And so, yep. um, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of Terminator and I'm a big fan of that, that vision too. I think it's, I think they go hand in hand, like for what it's worth, like it's kind of interesting to think that like a Mad Max is like very like not technological, but it's like following like the obsession of tech- technology. Right. And so it's, 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 that's, I, I, I don't see them as, um, divergent. Yep. 
apocalypses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You compare right Skynet and Terminator to uh, Mad Max. Uh, Skynet is technology going so far out of control that it literally becomes sentient and enslaves us. And Mad Max technology goes so far out of control that it destroys itself and leaves us in sort of a primal, primitive state, right? Um, that's why, and we don't talk too much about this, the Dune scenario is so fantastic because what happens is humans uh, like consciously destroy all their computers and artificial intelligences when they get to advance before they can get to the point where they get destroyed by it, uh, which is sort of a which, third scenario. Which is amazing to me because, I mean, I think... And I am not exceptionally familiar with Dune, but now I really want to read it. But that idea, I mean, like, I feel like, do we not think about that? Like, do we not think about, like, wow, my little child is obsessed with this phone? Like, do we not go out to dinner and, like, we put all our phones, like, in the middle of this table so we don't, like, mess with them? Like, mm-hmm. do we not get upset with one another? That Like, we just, the only way we connect is over, you know, yeah. I'm talking to you over Skype right now. Like, I mean, it's, there's, there's obviously tons of benefits. I mean, our president's tweeting. Like, our president spends more time on Twitter than like anything else. Not that he's like an, an influence, but like, what is this technology doing? Like there's exceptional, exceptional benefits, but like what, what, what's happening? So what would happen if we did in that, in that type of Dune scenario, like say, Nope, we're not doing this anymore. like, we're not going to, we're not going to use this. We're not going to enslave ourselves to it. I, I will. I will say. And I don't want to get into a huge political discussion here, but I think one of the side, the, the positive side benefits that will come out of the Trump disaster is that people are questioning what happens on Twitter in a way they haven't before, um, especially in regards to fake news and the viral nature of just stuff that people make up. And let's be honest, most of the mainstream media outside of Fox News is going after Trump hard and exposing his lies, even like CNN. Um, and that's why Trump Even Fox is, News is. Even Fox News is, yeah. Not not the writers of Fox News, but the the, ho- the TV personalities. Even Bill which O'Reilly is, has, yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, so I, I wanted to switch to um, tracks eight and nine. Um uh, Corvette and uh, who killed San Francisco because especially Corvette. And then when I heard the title of, of who killed San Francisco, that was when I listened to the lyrics and I immediately picked up what you were talking about. But that's also because we've talked about lamenting sort of the, the golden age of San Francisco and now it's full of hipsters and tech types um, and so forth. Um, I have to imagine this was a particularly personal topic for you to, to write about. And I'm curious as to whether it was hard to do so because it's so personal and a little bit more immediate or whether it came easier. I would say it came easy, but like it, it's, it's, it helped it helped give voice to, I think, my frustration with moving back here. You know, like it, it would have been interesting to have never left the Bay Area and like see what I would have thought. But moving back here, like it was really difficult for me, and like it just felt like this place is not what I remember. Like this, this, you know, it's like I used to feel like the Bay Area had like a lot of soul, like it had a lot of character to it. And I don't recognize San Francisco now. Like I don't. Like I really it kind of boggles my mind. Like, wow, this is San Francisco. Like when, and I think if you think like historically about San Francisco and you think about, you know, like, I mean, the grateful dead, like it's a huge influence. I mean, like how did they come from here? Like how did, how did this happen? Like, what is this city now? Like it's, it doesn't have an edge to it anymore. Like the way it used to, like, I mean, green day, like green days from the Bay area. Like where is that Bay area? Like what happened to that? And so I think that's, that's part of what I'm getting at, but also like thinking, like it's hard to live here. Like it's hard if you're not. I mean, and tech like is so disproportionately like funded. Like, I mean, I work with I work in the emergency room, and doctors I work with like they can't afford to live here. Like that blows my mind. Like mm-hmm. what? Like what? Like what is happening? Mm-hmm. Like wh- what happens? Like, I mean, like forget your like social workers and teachers and waiters. Like okay, no one gives a shit about those guys. But your doctors can't live here. Like that's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. And in San Francisco, like Manhattan has a unique problem of lacking up anywhere to expand to. Uh, whereas the city like Philadelphia, you know, which is inland and most of the population is in the suburbs and is a sprawling city, essentially. Um, actually, uh, I don't know if you agree with this. I don't think you've spent any or enough time in Philadelphia. But uh, my buddy Gabriel, who you know well, over the, I mean, somewhat well via podcasting, has spent a lot of time in um uh, in Oakland, um, East Bay, and uh, says that he found a lot of similarities between East Bay, Oakland, and kind of the, the working class part of uh, Philadelphia. 
Um, and that's part of why uh, Creed works so well with Ryan Coogler uh, directing it. Um, hmm. Just an observation. I don't yeah. know. I don't know Philadelphia well, but Oakland is a sprawl. I mean, it's fair yeah. to say Oakland is a huge, huge city. I mean, like what it encapsulates is massive, and like it, it, its density is not nearly reflective of like the Bay Area. Like it's actually kind of an aberration for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I had an experience in San Francisco actually last week where I just felt like I just met really mean people. <laughs> Yeah. And I came back to Oakland, like, it's like, okay, people are nicer in Oakland. Like, good. Like, people are nicer in New York City. Like, it's like, San Francisco sucks, man. Like, this yeah. city sucks. Like, I don't want to spend time, yep. any more time than I have to. And I, I felt sad about that. Like, that yeah. that sucks. It just, it's interesting to hear your perspective and Smiley's perspective, because who lives in San Francisco? Um, and, and, you know, Smiley and, and our other San Francisco friends go out of their way to try and have a positive San Francisco experience, but they come across a lot of the stuff that you complain about, and they complain about it, too. I think you're a personality just like me who just has trouble dealing with the bullshit. Um, and, you know, Smiley is someone who's very adaptable um, and can, you know, kind of tune it out in a way I, I, I can't. Um, the way I was not able to tune out, you know, New York and, and hipsterism and, and the bustle, hustle and bustle and so forth and had to move back to sure. Philly, move back to Philly. Um, sure. So, um, yeah, that, that's we keep talking about doing a, like sort of a San Francisco podcast. That would be fun. Maybe get maybe get Smiley on and do a three way would be really interesting. Um, so it, it I, is interesting. Yeah. I think I think my attitude really changed from leaving San Francisco. Yeah, I think and I, I, I think that's a big part of I mean, it kind of goes back to you know, is there a New Orleans influence here? Like, I don't know. Maybe there is, but leaving San Francisco, I think was one of the healthiest things I've ever done for myself as a human being, as an individual, as a musician, as a social justice person. Like, it's really great to get out of San Francisco because, yeah, like, I really loosened up a lot, which is kind of interesting to say. Like, I stopped giving a fuck about really stupid shit. Like, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like who cares? Like, like it doesn't matter where the next cool party is. Like, yeah. why don't we just hang out? Like you and me are hanging out, drinking beers. Like, yeah, cool. That's it. That's all that we need. That's it. It's fu- it was funny when I came to San Francisco, we were only able to fit in a tiny window of hanging out, but we immediately agreed on burgers and beers. Like we didn't even want to think about it. And it's not complicated. Like that's yeah. fine. Like good. Like yeah. cool. Like, Burgers great. and IPAs. Give me a double cheeseburger and an IPA, baby. And it doesn't matter where it is. And I feel like that's actually kind of a anti San Francisco statement. We're like, yes, you know, like a San Franciscan's going to be like, wait, which place are you going to? Like, yeah. oh, it's oh, that's a chain. Like, oh, right. or like, or like, oh, that's kind of not a cool part of town. It's like, who the fuck cares? Like, yeah. your friend's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Cool. Like, whatever. We'll make yeah. it work. I have yeah. beer and burgers. Like, that works. Like, we'll have a good time. That's Absolutely. Fine. So, uh, yeah, buddy. So why don't we um, uh, wrap um, for a little bit on uh, one or two other songs, and I'll throw it to you, and you can pick one or two songs that, that you'd really like to talk about or, or the album in general. So I, I throw it in your general direction. You brought up Corvette, and I do want to talk a little bit about that song because, to me, it's ambitious, it's risky, but it's also – it was a lot of fun to, to go down that road. It's a maybe two-minute long song that yeah. has – a lot going on in it, it and it, it brings up a it brings up a modern day Moses mm-hmm. that's not necessarily leading people out of slavery, but like leading people out of a out of a societal condition they don't want to be in, be it displacement, gentrification, capitalism, like what have you. And so I really like the song. Like I'm happy with how it turned out, but it's definitely one where I'm kind of feel like I'm burying my soul a little bit there. And I, I feel very exposed with that song. Hmm. Can you be more specific? You don't have to be. Um, I mean, again, it just it just feels ambitious lyrically. Like you know, what like this guy is insane. Like you know, how do you how do you get a modern day Moses from this? Like, how dare you compare gentrification to slavery that happened or mm-hmm. continues to happen in the world? And then musically, <laughs> you no, know, it's 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 uh. And there's like everything from Sonic Youth to like a Nirvana, kind of a hard rock thing, and it's 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 different. And I'm just curious how it how it relates on the other end. Like I'm happy with it, but like I feel like that's kind of like if that's like if that's representative of my most artistic moment, I think that that song would be it. So that's really putting it out there. Like this is my art, and how is it digestible, or is it digestible? Like what what do other people see when they see when they hear that? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I can say a couple things about the album. Uh, one is it sounds super professional. I mean, the the I mean, even up to the point of mastering sounds great. Um, I, you know, being having been in the music industry for a bunch of years and constantly listening to music at different levels of production, th- there was no moment where I was like, oh, this is a production problem here. Um, and that's really important. So kudos to you and the production team. I'm also going to say that you have a very distinct sound. And so, you know, some people will like it. Some people will love it. Maybe it's not for everyone, but you'll, d- I can tell you listeners that you will definitely be hearing something you haven't heard before. And then when you get a chance to, to read the notes and the lyrics, it, it takes on a whole nother level. So kudos there, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate that. So do you want to, um, uh, give us the facts about album release. Where can it be gotten? What formats? You know, um, and, uh, and, you know, websites and, and social media. Give us, give us the whole rundown on where people should go. And again, uh, uh, Bizzlecast listeners, recording this February twentieth, twenty seventeen. But we're probably going to release this kind of in the first week of March, is what we're thinking at the moment. So, uh, so right, Deed. So let's pretend your album's coming out in like a couple weeks from when this is coming. Bum, bum. I think we actually have one of those air horns on the album, which is super exciting. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the album will release digitally on March 28th, 2017. Mm -hmm. And you should be able to find it on Spotify and Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I think we're going to intentionally limit it to those sources. Um, I do not want to release it on iTunes and I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll quick plug here. I love Bandcamp for so many reasons. It's easy. Um, the models show that most people tend to give more money than you'd think by making it adjustable. Um, I don't know if this is your plan, but you can download in all sorts of formats, including FLAC and you know other lossless um, types of formats. It's non-DRM. Um, uh, you know, so you can listen on multiple devices w- without having to worry about that. You don't have to go through iTunes. It's it's a uh, really easy to sign up for Bandcamp. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it seems like if if that's one of your major outlets that you've had a positive experience with them because I've been using them for eight, ten years or however long they've been around. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Bandcamp, and I really, really like Spotify as a artist and as a fan. And I really, 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 really dislike iTunes. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so that's going to be one media that it's going to be released on. Okay. What are the chances of vinyl? It's, uh, well, the chance of some vinyl production is very high. And so I think that I found a source that can make six vinyl records for a reasonable price. So that's going to happen. Um, for a mass production of vinyl, I would love it. Love, 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 love to do it. Um, I don't know if the finances are there or the mm-hmm. demand is there, but if that happens, mm-hmm. that would be great. So I, there will be some vinyls that exist. And I think that's it. Like, we're not going to do CDs. I, I, I don't, I think the CD is a dying, dying breed and we're not going to go through with that. And so the other, the other, the other deliverable is going to be a coffee table book that has, high quality photographs it'll have the lyrics it'll have the comments that i've provided mm-hmm. and then it'll, it will also include a digital download with that mm-hmm. yeah i think a small flyer or handout with the Bandcamp and songify sites uh is the way to go um for sure um any videos planned we're thinking about it you know i think it's as far as like a a um, price point, it's 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 analogous to doing vinyl. So for me, it's like I I, I don't know which one to do. It's like a video would be real, like a high quality video would be awesome. Mm-hmm. And I just really 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 want vinyl. Yep. But again, like getting a getting a hundred vinyls, like am I really going to sell a hundred vinyls? Like am I worried about that? I'm not worried about it. Like I just want a vinyl for me. I'm going to be completely honest. Like I want a vinyl copy of my record. Like that's it. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. And if other people want that sweet, like yep. great, I hope you enjoy it. But no, I, I, I and, and for the, for the Bizzle cast, like I love listening to albums on vinyl and it's not a hipster thing. Like it is a difference. Um, there's a different sound. I don't know if it's better, but it's different. 
and I really appreciate that. So, well, yeah, I mean, there's I, it. Look, it it is different. There's a dynamic range issue that they haven't been able to replicate outside of vinyl that I'm aware yeah. of. Vinyl is badass. It, it yeah. sounds great. It, but the thing is, I, I mean, you have to have it mastered for vinyl because these days everything is compressed for for uh, high quality, but digital mainly. Um, and that compression takes out of that di- takes away from that dynamic range. I'm sure you've considered that. We will be mastering. We'll be mastering next week, and so I will sub- be submitting to the digital the digital world um, a week from now, which is crazy. It's just super exciting. I mean, it's not um, it's not that hard. You just have the mastering guy do a little less compression on the first pass and use that for the vinyl. I think ask ask whoever you're working with, but that's that's how yeah. we did it. Yeah, um, we, we got the bra- we got the brains on it. Brains bigger than me that are handling that <laughs> and that that job. Which is good, um, but we were we are hosting two album release parties Ooh. in in the Bay Area. We're having one in Oakland on March thirtieth at the Uptown, which is a legit spot, dude. That's a really cool spot to hold a gig. I could potentially bring Rufus, so I'm not sure if I'm going to, but I might be <laughs> able to. Um, and it's we're and I actually have like a legit like a ticket website, which is crazy to me. But like it's five dollars up front, seven dollars at the door so if you get your tickets online it's five dollars mm-hmm. and we will be giving the artists whatever the venue gets they get but the artists participating in the show which is uncle a great band i love and mm. the pleasure routine who is an up-and-coming pretty fun little band like they're a fun i, I think they're kind of hipsterish but i like them they're good they're like these kids and like they have all this energy and like a seven-piece band but they're good um they're gonna be joining us but half of what the artists make, we're going to be donating to the fire that happened here in Oakland over the holidays, mm. the ghost ship fire. So that's that's pretty cool. I was really stoked that we were down to do that. And yeah. so the ticket, I think the ticket price is pretty um, negligible. I don't mean to say that from a um, bourgeois perspective, but you know, five dollars, seven dollars, and half's going to a really good cause. So that's that's March thirtieth, and then. And of April course, 26th. people can make donations on top of that. Clearly, to, clearly. to the cause. Good idea. Yeah. Yes, we'll we'll figure out a way to make that happen. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, all, all you got to say is seven dollars uh, or or up, and and anything or up will go to the donation kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. Thank you, Bizzle. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the second show we'll be doing April twenty second in this illustrious city of San Francisco, mm-hmm. in a actually really cool part of the city that has not been totally co-opted. What that exists. It does. It does. There's actually cool parts of San Francisco. Cool, man. Yeah, there are cool parts of San Francisco. And that'll be at the Lucky Horseshoe mm. on Bernal Hill. Really okay. good ice cream nearby. Yeah. Really good deli nearby. Um, All right. So here's the plan. So we're going to drop this early March, and then we'll re-release the podcast like right before the album drops, or maybe the day the album drops. And then like shortly before these events, make sure to not only invite me but let me know that they're up and then i can share them on the bizzlecast page and then um tell and we'll tell people uh you know we'll remind people where they can get a copy of the album go to the events whatever uh but make sure to give me a little notice about the event so i can tell my sf crew because it's they 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 run pretty deep uh they roll pretty deep um so okay would love to get them there um and thank you uh, yeah absolutely i mean come on you're blues leader yeah man um Speaking of which, um, would you be down to close on a quick pop culture note? Please. So I haven't seen the new Rebels episode, but you said it's pretty good. And by oh, the way, our Rebels podcast. Awesome. I know. I love it's Sabine. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome, dude. I can't it's, wait. It's, it's like up there, dude. It's pretty badass. So, you know, I'm doing this weekly TV podcast, Crossing Streams, with, with my co-host, Maddie G, uh, Matt Glazman, who I went to college with. Although we, did, we really weren't really friends until we started doing podcasts together. But anyways, um, and I've mentioned Rebels. We haven't done like a section on it because he doesn't watch it. He's not a huge Star Wars guy. And uh, but me and you obviously the Rebels podcast, which is doing very well. People s- seem to like it a lot. Um, but the Rebels season, I believe, is over in like six weeks or so. Um, I think so. Yeah. yeah so yeah. would would you be interested in coming on for a, a guest spot? I mean, you wouldn't have to come on the whole time. Join me and Matt, and and as one of our segments for the Crossing Streams that week after the season's over, we could do a Rebels wrap up. Or we could just do it, it me be, and you. Either way. It would be an honor and I think the gravity of these episodes, like yep. merit it. I mean this 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 most recent episode, like it was heavy, dude. It was yep. it was pretty badass. So what I think is interesting is the Rebels episodes leading up to Rogue One make tons of sense in hindsight. 
like in terms of like stealing the ships that they steal or you know what i mean like the missions they were doing you wouldn't guess were connected and then certainly the episodes right after rogue one with saw Gerrera, um were super connected um so do you predict that these last four or five episodes will be leading up in any way to episode uh eight eight or is it just too far of a gap um uh, other than maybe a reveal or hint as to the lineage of ray i don't think they'll lead to episode eight i think that's too far wait episode eight is the force awakens episode eight is no no, is the last jedi which is coming out this christmas last jedi yeah I think it, I think it'll go as far as maybe seven. I think it'll go to a Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. I think we again. I'm whew, okay. Close your ears, Bizzle. I was a little scared that my my theory was not going to hold true, but it's still in play. Uh-huh. It's still in play. Okay. Um, uh oh. Other love yeah, interests. Okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it there. There was a, there was a second where I was I was nervous that my that my theory for Ray's parentage was in jeopardy. Huh. But um. It's still, it's still, there's still a chance. Well, they, here's an interesting thought they never had before, which is they've already done one small time jump where Ezra goes from a boy to a young man. Um, by the way, I think it was really smart how, even though he's a man, they continue to make him kind of small and not like as tall as Kanan, you know, that's kind of, he's a teenager, dude. He had his, he's got pubes. He's just got pubes. Oh, so you think he's still growing? Absolutely. He's a, uh, he's a teenager. Yeah, I kind of like him he's being totally a little smaller because he can climb through stuff. Anyways, point being, it would be interesting if the show takes a big time jump at some point and takes place between episode six and episode seven during that 30-year period where we have no idea what the fuck was going on. Well, we do. We do know that we do know that Luke started training Jedi, and eventually Kylo Ren killed them all and destroyed his project. So, so there were more than one, there were more than one Jedi Luke was training. Yeah, you can see it in the um, the flashback that I think it's when wow. Rey touches the lightsaber. She sees Kylo Ren and the other Knights of Ren kind of over the dead bodies of, of Jedi and stuff like that. We Yeah, I mean, we know also from just like canon stuff they've released that Luke was training a bunch of Jedi even before Kylo Ren, you know, because uh, Leia and Han mentioned that, you know, they thought Luke could sort of help him. And so he became sort of another apprentice of Luke. So yeah, there were other Jedi who were, or, or at least apprentices who were killed by Kylo Ren. And there are other Knights of Ren, which I'm assuming we will hear more about in the new movie. So I could see some connections for sure. So I'm looking forward to that. Anything else on the TV that, or, or movies that you've been checking out or, or looking forward to? I watched Frontier, the series on Netflix. Okay. There's six, I want to say six episodes of that. Okay. And it's got a dude from... Oh, that's Jason Momoa, uh, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. And he was, I want to say he was a B plus. Like, I want to yeah. give him a B plus on He's that. a B plus actor. Yeah. Yeah. He was, like, definitely a badass. But, like, I like that. I like that series a lot. I think you would like it. It's got a lot of politics and interesting politics um, in a very interesting era mm-hmm. of um, new world history. Mm-hmm. So, I, I like that a lot. I thought it was. I thought it was a good show. Sweet. Um, cool, man. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, oh, by the way, uh, I know you don't go out to a lot of movies, but if you can get a cheap matinee ticket, the Batman Lego movie is spectacular. I, mean, I want to watch that. And it's I really will. excellent. And, yeah. And I want to thank you for having me. This is really oh, sure. honored to be able to talk about my music and Absolutely. to be on a platform to do so. So thank you very much. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, we can have, have you on down the road, let you know if you're torn at all or whatever, talk more music, talk more pop culture, anytime blues leader, you are welcome. Thank you, sir. All right, Bizzlecast listeners, thank you for tuning in. Definitely check out the new Bones Yard album. Um, it'll be uh, the social media stuff and the websites will be in the copy of this podcast. So you'll be able to link directly to it. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks for being on, Adam. And we are out. Mm-hmm.